So Robert serves on, uh, some of you may not be as familiar with uh, Ecclesia's um, leadership structure. So we have five pastors, um, and we, uh, we don't know everything. So uh, that part I know doesn't come as a surprise. But uh, we have a board of, of men, more seasoned pastors, uh, called our advisory board, who we regularly look to for advice, um, for wise counsel, and Robert serves on that board. Uh, he and his family have been serving in in Utah for 40 years, 40 years. Um, so been following Jesus a long time, been uh, serving the Lord here in Utah for a long time. And uh, he also now heads up a ministry for pastors, so equipping and encouraging pastors. So um, we're blessed to have him here. We're going to keep on keeping on with this series of Life Under the Sun. So Robert's going to come and uh, preach to us from Ecclesiastes 3, and I'm going to pray as he comes. Father, we pray for your grace this morning. Uh, Open our ears, open our minds, uh, open our hearts to hear from you. Um, Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so as it's open to us and proclaimed to us, uh, illuminate by your Holy Spirit this passage. Um, We ask for a special blessing, a special measure of grace on Robert as he speaks to us. that we would be gracious listeners and uh, that your spirit would be gracious to him. Lord, we pray that you would remove distractions um, so that we can focus intently on what your word says, what it means and how we are to live according to it. And uh, Lord, empower us for action. Uh, Make us uh, not hearers of the word only, but doers. We thank you and praise you for your holy word and, um, and for this man to step in for us this morning on short notice to explain it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you today. We, um, I really appreciate Justin and Greg. They're the ones that I'm most familiar with. Had a Zoom meeting with Greg this past week and sat with Justin for tea the week prior and try to get with them regularly. My, wife, my name is Robert. My wife's name is Donna. We do run a helps and encouragement ministry here in Utah. We've been doing that for 30 years. We first moved to Utah 40 years ago, so in only three more generations, we'll be locals, right? Um, But um, we're thankful to be able to be here and just share with you God's Word. And you know what we do when we share God's Word? We just, we just set it in front of. We just set it before. I, I'm not the one that brings anything. Justin, Greg, they're not the ones. It's the Holy Spirit who does the work. Amen? So all that, all that we do and all that each one of us do during the week when we get with people that we're discipling and being an encouragement to, we just set before them. That's what it said in 2 Timothy 2.2 when Paul said, the things you've heard from me in the company of many witnesses, I want you to entrust. That's what that word means, entrust. Just set it in front of them, just like, just like at the, the feeding of the 5,000, set it in front of them. And those who know how to eat are going to eat, amen? And those that don't, know those are the ones in the next part of the verse that says so they can teach it to others. Because if we'll just set the word in front of you, the word is the one who does the work, right? The word is the one who penetrates, who penetrates and divides between soul and spirit, bone and marrow. Now, that's cutting it close to the bone, right? How many of you have cut between bone and marrow on a living thing? We might have done it in in biology class in dissection, but there aren't too many of us who have cut between bone and marrow on a living thing, right? And it lived, is what I mean. But but the Word of God is able to get into those intimate, those secret places, all the way down to, what does it say in Hebrews 4.12? Discerning between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Not only what you did, 
Not only what you thought, but why you did it. The, the, the Bible is able to remind us, to illuminate to us, to convict us of what it is that has led to our action. And I would submit to you that 10 minutes of meditating on God's Word in the quiet of your own place will do far more good for you in the presence of the Holy Spirit than 30 minutes of me yammering at you about it this morning, right? So each one of us is called into that secret place. Each one of us is called into that quiet place because 1 John 2, 27, the Holy Spirit is that anointing that each one of us have received. And because of that anointing, He causes us to understand God's Word far better than anything else that we ever could. So as we come to His Word, we just set it in front of you. We set it in front of ourselves, and we ask the Holy Spirit, what do you have for us today? And as we come to this passage this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it's broken basically into three sections. We deal with three things here. We deal with time in verses 1 through 8. We deal with work in verses 9 through 15. And we deal with death in verses 16 through 22. How many of you like talking about any of those subjects on any prolonged basis? These are not the exciting topics, right? Because we, we have a love-hate relationship with all three of these things, right? First off, it says time. Look at what it says there. We're going to read those eight verses. It says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, time to be born and a time to die, time to plant, time to pluck up what is planted, time to kill and time to heal, time to break down, a time to build up, time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. There's a time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. How many of you remember the birds? Singing that song, turn, turn, turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got a couple of older ones in here. <laughs> Pete Seeger, when he wrote those lyrics, everybody's, oh, that's the coolest lyrics. No, he didn't come up with that. Those are the oldest lyrics in rock and roll history right there. To everything, turn, 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 right? Because there's a time and a season for everything. In the Greek New Testament, there are two words that are primarily translated for time. Those two words are not going to change your life at all, but you're going to hear them anyway. They are kairos and chronos. Now, chronos, we know what that is because a lot of you have a chronosometer on your arm, right? A chronosometer on your phone. When you want to know what time it is, when you want to know the chronology of things as they move along, you check your chronometer. That's that word, chronos. Well, that's used a lot of times in the Bible. And it talks about a second. It talks about the, the instant and time when this is to take place. But the other word is kairos, and that means more of a season. It's a larger word. It's, it's this general time frame of things. Chronos is an exact time. Kairos is the season. In Galatians 4.4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. That's chronos. It was the exact moment in time when it was right for Jesus to be born. 
Romans 5, 6, when we were yet without strength in due time, God, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the whole, the whole season all the way from Adam to the last one. At, at the right season, Christ died. But he was born at the exact right second, see? That's the difference between those two words. And seasons, this, this book talks about, this passage talks about both of those. Seasons might last for seconds, they might last for years. And all of us are in seasons. We had a, we had a baby born in our house this past week. Um, we called my wife Sarah. It wasn't our baby, it was our grandbaby. <laughs> anyway, never mind, sorry. Um, oh, Donna laughed, Donna laughed, okay. I told somebody this past week that we uh, sent a text, well, the, we had a baby born this week, and they said, I didn't even know Donna was pregnant. And... Um, no, we had a grandbaby born this past Monday. And what happens? You, you, we got enough of you people in here who knows what happens. You're carrying that thing, and you got a season going, right? And then that last few days, those last few weeks, it's I'm ready for this thing to be over with any time now, right? But then the contractions kick in. And now we know that we're in the final season. And then comes that moment when the baby's born, 10.52 p.m. Now the baby has been born. We move through the seasons to the exact time when God is going to do something. And women are especially are going to live in a lot of different seasons in their lives and we need wisdom to help negotiate those seasons, negotiate those times. First time I was here, first time I came to your fellowship, it was up on Redwood. I'll tell you what I saw. I sat on the back row. I do the secret shopper thing occasionally. Sat on the back row, and I'll just tell you the good things because there are a lot of them. I saw a lot of young families, and I saw them with their kids sitting on the floor, sitting next to them. You know how impressive that is? It means, it means you're getting something here that you have decided is worth wrestling those kids into place, keeping them quiet during the service. It means that you see a benefit enough that you're willing to put your family in your vehicle, crank your truck, and get over here on Sunday morning. That was extremely encouraging for me, and I told your pastors that. Here's what I saw. I saw a room full of young families with their kids. That means you're, they're, there's something being given and you guys are receiving something. And that's the season of life that you're in. You're not going to be in that season forever. My wife and I had five children and then we took in a nephew. So we had, she homeschooled six. We homeschooled six. Yeah, Donna homeschooled six kids. Um, that was a season. We don't have those children anymore. And Don and I look at each other every now and then and say, I don't want other children. I just wish we could have our children. How we miss the fun that we had with our children. You are in a season right now that when this season is over, you will never have it again. I cannot encourage parents strongly enough, don't waste a day of it. Don't wish a day of it away. Don't ever say, oh, I can't wait until this is over. Because when it's over, it is over. <laughs> My, our youngest is 31. He'll be 32 here in a few days and up until about the time he was 13 years old, he would hold my hand. He would sit next to me on the sofa and hold my hand. He's 31 years old, has a baby due here um, yesterday. So we have another one due. They had a baby due yesterday. He doesn't sit and hold my hand anymore. So don't waste a day of it because this is the season that you happen to be in. And the tendency of people in any season is to get with others who are in that same season so they can top that testimony. 
right? Tell how miserable their day is and how do you deal with misery. And you, you think your week was bad. Well, let me tell you about mine. You know, I, I lost three nights of sleep this week. Well, you think that's bad. I lost eight nights of sleep this past week. It's been terrible, right? And we, we play top that testimony as Christians. Let me tell you how bad my week was. Well, let me tell you how terrible my boss is. You don't have anything on that. Now, look, we can spend our time trying to play that game, or we can just vote. Let's just have a basket, and it's all white pieces of paper except for one purple piece of paper. Whoever pulls out the purple piece of paper, okay, I had the worst week. Everybody else didn't have as bad a week. Now we don't have to waste the time figuring that out, see? Now we can just get down to being an encouragement, a blessing to one another. Because the time, see, now we're dealing with time is so short. Let's redeem the time because we know we're running out of it. And let's not take waste our time to... Spend it talking about how bad everything is and, and getting with people who are in the same experience who they don't have much of the answers. Anyway, wouldn't it be wise in whatever season we are to find someone who has been in that season, who seems to have made it through that season without killing anyone? See, we used to have seven kids. We don't tell too many people that. But <clears throat> to get with people who have made it through that and seem to have done it with some degree of enjoyment and success and asking them how they did it rather than the pooling of the ignorance of everyone who's still stuck in it. Wouldn't it be better, wouldn't it be wiser to have a mentor, someone to disciple us through these things? And friends, that's what the body of Christ is about. I encourage you, I encourage you to have somebody that you have a Paul relationship with, someone that you're looking up to, that they're beyond you, they're farther than you, they're pulling you along, but also have a Timothy relationship, someone who's coming up behind you, and replace yourself and then pour your life into them. Because friends, if we don't reproduce ourselves, if we don't replace ourselves, we have forsaken the next generation and we have condemned them to learn the things we learned the same way we learned it. So we take these things and just set it in front of. Now, this first section talks about time. And there are times that I hate time. I hate that, I hate that time progresses and my kids aren't the kids that they used to be. I hate that they're not the young ones who would stand in the doorway and turn around and wearing my t-shirts that they wore as jammies, you know, <laughs> and say five, ten, twelve times, I love you and I like you. Yeah, we love you and like you too. Okay, I love you and I like you. Yeah, yeah, I love you and like you too. I miss that. There are times that I hate time. There are times that I fear time. One of my fears is when I ponder the opportunities and the work that's left and I recognize that I don't wear a young man's beard anymore. It's a scary thing. God, am I going to be able to see these things? Am I going to be able to be involved in them? Is time going to catch up with me? There are times that I fear time. And there are times when I wish I could genuinely save time in a bottle. <laughs> and I'd spend every minute with Donna. There's just never enough time. You know, we had COVID this past year. Everybody had COVID say, yeehaw. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, we need to up everybody's medication. Anyway, lost eight pounds overnight. Somebody said, is it possible to lose eight pounds overnight? Apparently. But anyway, so we, we, we couldn't move for two weeks. I sent out an email at two weeks that said, well, I was finally able to get Donna from the bedroom to the living room today. This was a major victory. 
And oh, it's so terrible. But you know what? I didn't hate it completely because for two solid weeks, I was sitting right there next to my wife. And then for the next two weeks, sat in the living room right there next to my wife. It wasn't completely terrible, right? It's a matter of how we choose to look at it. Two men looked through bars. One saw mud. The other saw stars. Same, same view, different perspective, right? And there are times that I wish I could save more of that time and just be able to spend it with the ones that I love. But this passage talks about both, seasons and time. Look there in verse 1. Everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. My mother died about two years ago, just a few days uh, after Justin's mother died, just a few days, two or three days. And... Um, I went in on a Monday morning at 11 o'clock. I said, how are you doing? She was sitting on the side of her bed, and she said, I think I'm done. Well, we had had conversations, and that word was a loaded word for us, so I knew what that meant. And I said, no. She was up walking around. She was completely lucid, didn't have any drugs in her that were altering her thinking. She, had, she probably took her vitamins that morning and looked at me at age 90 and said, I think it's time. I think I'm done. We need to get some people on the phone. So I called people, had her talk to them, and 21 hours later, she was dead. She was 90 years old. Been in the season for a little while. But the time came. The time came. And for everything, there is a season. There's a time to embrace, verse 5, and a time to refrain from embracing. That's probably in the middle of a crowded mall, right? That's the time to refrain from embracing right? Verse 6, a time to keep and a time to cast away. We're in a phase of life. We've been in a phase of life. We do antiques. It's kind of an investment thing for us, and we really enjoy it. We've been collecting antiques for a long time. Well, now it's time to start casting those things away, and we're, we're letting go of some of those things that we've held on to for years. And is that a bad thing? No. We celebrate the time, celebrate the opportunity, and now we Cast it away. It's just the time that it is. Verse 7, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. How often do you get those two confused? Verse 8, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time to, for peace. Yeah, even hate and war. The problem is not in the times. The problem is in properly discerning the times and living rightly in the times we find ourselves. There are a lot of times that we've hated at the wrong season, at the wrong time. We've gone to war at the wrong time. First Chronicles 12.32 talks about the men of Issachar, the descendants of Issachar. What does it say? They were men who were able to understand the times to know what Israel ought to do. Boy, isn't that it? How many of us, how many of us can look back and say, well, this is what ought to have been done, right? Everybody can do that, right? This is what should have been done. 2020, hindsight's always 2020. It's so difficult in the moment to know what needs to be done, but we had men of wisdom in the men of Issachar who had understanding and knew what Israel ought to do. And friends, if we don't rightly live, if we don't rightly live in the season we find ourselves in, the season will win and the season will kill you. If you go outside in the middle of a snowstorm dressed in Bermuda shorts, wearing a Hawaii shirt, and flip-flops, some people call those thongs. We're not going to do that. We're going to call them flip-flops. The season will kill you. The season will win. But when we go out addressing the season as it really is, 
prepared for it as it really is, and engage the season, not only can we actually enjoy it, we can thrive and prosper in it because we have recognized the season. We are prepared for the season of life that we find ourselves. And friends, my greatest encouragement to you is never use the words, I can't wait or I'll be glad when all of this is over because that's fighting the season. When we submit to the season that God has us in, be it a terrible job or a difficult marriage or kids that are driving us out of our minds. Somebody told me one time, I can't talk to you about my kids because your kids were just perfect. And they never did anything wrong. I said, well, excuse me. <laughs> there were times that we wanted to go, well, you just don't talk about it. You're right, I don't talk about it. Why would I want to top your, your story of terribleness? There were times it was horrible. But I want to give you encouragement that there's life on the other side of that. Go through that. Don't try and bypass it. Don't, don't try and avoid it. Let me go through the season. And if God has you in a place right, time, right now of difficulty, it's a season it will pass. Things will change. Let's operate rightly in the season. Amen? Okay. Let's look secondly at work. Verses 9 through 15. What does it say? What gain has the worker from his toil? He must have been working for minimum wage. See? I have seen, verse 10, the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also... He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. How many of you have ever gotten tired of work? How many of you have ever hated work? How many of you ever wished you could live where Burl Ives sang about the Big Rock Candy Mountain, where there's a lake of stew and of whiskey too, and paddle around in a big canoe, where you hang the jerk who invented work at the Big Rock Candy Mountain, right? Don't you wish you could live there? You'd be so bored with it. You'd be so sick of it. Just the lack of fulfillment of creating something, of designing something, of building something, being a part of something that's larger than us, that would get so boring. It's not reality. It's not a source of fulfillment or meaning. Where did work come from? Where did work come from? Who invented work? Verse 10, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Where did work come from? God's the one who gave it to us. Why did he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. He put us there to work. There is work that is meaningful to each one of us. And when we find what that work is, we can genuinely say, I really enjoy my job. And, and look, at, look at the proper result there in verse 11 of engaging in the business that God has given to us. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Wow, wouldn't it be great to be able to walk away from your job every day saying he's made it beautiful. He's made it beautiful in this time. I was talking to a sheetrocker one time. I was at a church and talking to a sheetrocker and 
Sheetrocking is not the top job that everyone says they enjoy, or sheetrockers are supposed to be doing a job, because they, but anyway. Um, so I said, I made some snarky remark. You know, I'm trying to be funny, and I'm trying to relate, and I said, oh, a sheetrocker, huh, boy, that's not the, that's not everybody's favorite job to do, is it? Well, he said, well, I like my job. <laughs> I, I like walking into a room that's a mess and taking those tools and running a straight line and cleaning that room up and being able to walk out and saying, wow, that looks really good. I like my job. Boy, I learned a lesson there, didn't I? <laughs> don't go criticizing when I don't know what I'm talking about. And the ability to enjoy our job, that is a gift from God. Look in verse 11, part B. He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning. Another version says, He has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning. God has pulled back the curtain just a little ways. He has shown us just a little bit. And everything that we see in all of creation, everything around us, Romans 1.20 says, His eternal power and divine nature have been revealed in everything that we see. And we see just a little bitty bit of it, but friends, we don't see all of it. There's no way we can comprehend it, not with these little computers that we have. He has, sh- he has put eternity in our hearts, but there's so much of it that we will never be able to understand it all. In Deuteronomy 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. They're His. But the things that are revealed, they belong to us and to our children forever so that we might do all the words of the law. There's some things that are hidden and there's some things that are not. And just like a parent doesn't tell his child everything before they're ready for it, God doesn't tell us everything before we're ready for it. He's put it in our hearts. He's put it in us to want to know. But he's also said, there, there are limits. You'll know at the right time. Corey ten Boom went to her dad one day and said, teach me about sex. Tell me about sex. And he said, um, that suitcase there, pick that suitcase up. She said, I'm too small. I can't pick it up. He said, the same with sex. When you're old enough to pick it up, I'll talk to you about it then. That's good, isn't it? And friends, there are things that God has revealed and things that God has not revealed. And that he's put a desire in us to know those things is a good thing. He's inviting us in at the right time. Look what else he says about work in verse 13. Everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I was at a a Long John Silver's one time. I know. Long John Silver's one time, the girl behind the counter loved. She, was, she looked like she was having a ball. She, she was, just enjoyed her job. She, she, it made so much to her that I asked for a number six. I love number six. I am so glad you do. She loved her job, and I was able to look at her and say, do you, do you like your work? Oh, I love working here. I love working here. And as they will say, did you know that the Bible tells us that if you love your work, that is a gift from God. You can be thankful for that. Now, look, I'm, I never saw her again. I don't remember what city it was in. Yeah, kick, kick. But I just brought Jesus into her day. 
So let's, let's just see where the conversation goes. I do that on occasion. Somebody obviously loves their job, that is a gift from God. That's what it says right there. This, this too is a gift from God. If you love your job, that is a gift from God. And we look at him and say, wow, thank you. Thank you for letting me love my job, including sheet rockers. Imagine. It's a gift from God that he has placed inside of us. And when we recognize it in somebody and say, you know, you enjoy your job, that, the Bible says that's a gift from God. We can be thankful to God. You're just bringing Jesus into their day. Don't know where the conversation will go. Might go someplace good. Might never hear from them again. But we've brought Jesus into their day. And if you're in a place right now where you do not enjoy your job, and there are those, I recognize that. I've been there. Sold women's shoes. Me and Al Bundy sold women's shoes at a department store for six months. Boy, that'll teach you things about human nature you didn't need to know. But anyway... If you're in a place where you don't enjoy your job right now, that's a reality. I would submit two things for you to consider. First, I would cons- encourage you to consider, is this the season for this job and to serve God faithfully here? Are you in a season where that job is God's means of provision for now. That you're there for now does not mean you will be there forever. And I can encourage you, I can absolutely state categorically, you will not be there forever. Look on the bright side, one day you'll be dead. You won't have to go. (laughs) That's a terrible thing to say. Who would say such a thing? You will not be at that job forever. Could I encourage you to look at that job as a season during which God is using you in that place to just be his follower? Don't have to go around spouting Jesus stuff all the time. We just just live for him. That would be one consideration. Second consideration I would submit would be, is this the right job for your gifts, talents, and interests that God has given you? Might one season be winding down and another season opening up with different work ahead? Whatever the season you find yourself in now, don't waste the season. Don't curse it. The season will win. Find the beauty in it because when it ends, it ends. (laughs) Work. We have time, work. Let's look lastly at death. Verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts of this the same? One dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Look at what it says there in verse 16. In the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. That is the eternal struggle of Romans 7. That which I would not, that do I do. The sin nature that's fighting against my spiritual nature, it's a constant battle that goes on inside of us. 
what? For I do not do the good I want, Romans 7, 19. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Anybody been there? Anybody been there? Anybody honest enough on Sunday morning? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? I have this death that seems to be inside this wickedness inside my righteousness. And how do, how do I deal with this thing? How do I get rid of it? And friends, every Christian who has ever lived has struggled with this duality of temptation, this duality of nature. But he answers that question. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? He answers the question in the very next verse when he says, And I thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer. How do I get delivered from this thing? It's through Jesus, man. It's through recognizing, just walking with him, recognizing. I'm having difficulty here. Jesus, you're the only one that can help me. And he says, I know. I will. Let's keep going. And friends, we can sit back as Christians and be smug about how spiritual we are and Make the world think that we have everything together or we can bow in humble recognition that, God, if it weren't for you, we'd all be in a mess. Our spirituality, our victory, our walking in righteousness, they're not our own doing. They are the overwhelming grace of God working in our lives. And for that, we, we owe him a, an eternal debt of gratitude. We owe him an eternal debt of lordship. I'll do what you tell me to do. I like that passage over in 1 Corinthians 4. It says, this is the NIV version. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Listen to what he says. My conscience is clear. And a lot of us like to stop there. Paul did not stop there. My conscience is clear. But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Boy, I like that. Now, I want to walk through life with a clean conscience. Philippians 3.15 says if, any, if there's anything that you're thinking other than how God wants you to think, He'll show that to you. Just relax. He'll show that to you. But Paul said, my conscience is clear. It doesn't make me innocent. You can judge me all you want. I don't judge myself. God's going to judge. I'll leave that to Him. I really like that passage. Because even in justice, there's wickedness. Even in righteousness, there's wickedness. We don't have to look any farther than our own legal situation today to know that in justice, there is wickedness. But friends, in all of it, as Christians, we have Him leading us. Here's the healthy realization in verse 17. God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there's a time for every matter and for every work. That's where we find ourselves a good reminder in verse 18 that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. That's kind of depressing to be called a beast, but I was talking with my son, they're pregnant in Nashville, and he said, I've realized that childbirth is about the closest thing to being a beast that humans can be. Well, okay, whatever. Draw whatever pictures. He's an artist. Draw whatever pictures you choose there, I guess. But God's testing them so that they can see. Listen, God doesn't test us for his benefit. He already knows the answer. He's testing us to let us see something. And what a gracious God he is to inform us. And then he says in verse 19, kind of a weird thing. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Death is as much a part of life as birth is. Beasts of the field die, people die. And the reckoning which follows for us should bring great gravity and intentionality to the way we live our lives today. 
But then he continues in verse 21 and says, Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? That's a weird thing to say. I thought this was the Bible. As Christians, we're supposed to know everything. And he says, but who knows? That was sarcasm, by the way. Christians were supposed to know everything. I figured you would catch that, but just wanted to make sure. What is he talking about here? If we look at that verse, does Solomon not know? Here, here, here's you a tool. Here's you, here's you a rule for how to read the Bible. Every text without a context is a pretext. So if we're going to take that verse, we have to take that verse in its text, in its context, in its immediate context. And the immediate context that Solomon is talking about is death. Do animals die? Do humans die? Do you look, do you stand there and watch one spirit go up into the root ceiling and the other spirit go down into the ground? No, you can't see that. And that's what he's referring to here. He's talking in the direct context of death. That is the context of this text. Now, when you have a question that extends beyond the context, here's what you do. You go text, context, book. What does he say in the entirety of his book? And in the rest of the book, in 12.7, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. So even in his own book, he recognizes, he realizes, he, he has seen what God has revealed. But in that text, Verse 21, all he's talking about is this issue of death. It looks like everything comes to an end. So we go text, context, book, author, testament, and then Bible. What does the entirety of the Bible have to say about it? And that's how we do proper exegesis of a passage. And he's dealing specifically here with death. In all these levels of exegesis, it's clearly revealed what happens to the spirit of humans. Solomon knows that. He deals with it elsewhere. In that one particular passage, he's talking strictly about this matter of death. And closing, he looks, says there in verse 22, Who can bring him to see what will be after him? It is impossible to know the outcome of a thing until the thing is over. It really ain't over till it's over. Yogi Berra was right, right? It is impossible to know. How did you do raising your kids? <laughs> I don't know. You can tell me in 60 years. Because we won't know until then. Presidential administration, man, you've got to wait 30, 40, 50 years to recognize the impact of a presidential administration. Why? Because we don't know how this thing, what's the impact of it? What's the effect of it going to be over the long term? It takes time to figure these things out. And so what he's talking about. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Nobody. Kierkegaard said, we live our lives forward, but we understand them backward. Often it's only in retrospect that we grasp the kindness of God's providence. How many times have you looked back over your life and gone, man, if I had left 10 minutes earlier, the mess that I would have been in. How many times have you realized if I had gone in the house one minute later, I'd have missed the phone call that changed my life when I was 16 years old. How many times have you looked back and seen the grace of God merging into your life before you even knew you needed it? didn't necessarily recognize it at the time, and then after the fact, you look back on it and go, oh, holy night, man, God was in on that, wasn't he? Right? How rare it is in the moment we recognize the powerful hand of God, and yet he is still there. He's still working. He's still active. And we look at these three things, time, work, and death. 
And the things we've talked about, well, they're all pretty obvious. Anybody could have figured this out. Yeah, yeah, but Solomon did. <laughs> Anything, it, well, anybody could have invented the Model T, right? Man, that thing's so simple. I could do that. Anybody could have come up with the bow and arrow, right? No. <laughs> Everything's simple looking back at it. It's as we're moving forward into life that things become more difficult and complex. So, everything we've looked at today, these th three things of time, work, and death, I have a couple of questions I have for you. One is, there's a day coming when every one of us are going to die. We'll be reduced to a 2D, 3x5 remembrance on somebody's dresser. Are you ready for that day? For those of you here this morning who might not have accepted Christ or committed your life to Him, I, I would encourage you to think about the reality that, that there is a God who loves you. He wants you in His presence. But there's a, there's a barrier. There's something that stands between you and God, and that, that is a wall. The Bible says that there's a wall of sin that has separated us from God. And I'm the one who built that wall. How, how can I take it down? I'm the one who built it. Somebody has to take that wall down. And what God says is that He sent His Son to take that center partition, that wall of separation down so that now you can have a relationship with the Father. So all that remains now is you and Jesus. What are you going to do with Jesus? Jesus loves us so much. He wanted us to have a relationship with the Father he knows so well. He says, you've got to meet this guy that he came and died the death that he did so that you and I could have access to the Father. And now wouldn't you like to say, God, I'll give you my life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, I'm the one who built the wall, and I'm really sorry. Thank you for taking it down. And now I'll give you my life. As the band comes, one last thing. Most of us in here this morning have accepted Christ. What have you heard this morning? We started off with the things that you have both seen and heard. Entrust them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What have you heard this morning that just kind of resonated with you? What has the Holy Spirit taken and dropped in your heart? Could you take it and reduce it to five, maybe three, maybe one sentence? Just distill that thing down, what you've learned this morning. Distill it down into one simple thought. And my question is, who are you going to share that with this week? Because, friends, a disciple is not someone who follows Jesus. Lots of people follow Jesus. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus and teaches someone else to teach someone else how to follow Jesus. Who is it that you're pouring your life into? Who are you discipling? Who could you take just that one sentence, that one distilled thought, and share it with this week? You're already getting with people. You already have tea with people. You already have uh, play dates with other people. Could you bring Jesus into that conversation and just see what it does? See where the conversation goes. And in doing that, the things that have been set before you, entrusted to you, teach them to others so that they can teach others also. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. God, if it hadn't have been for Jesus where would we be? God, thank you for loving us so much that you brought us Jesus. Now, Father, for those this morning who, who don't know Jesus yet, would you reveal yourself to them in terms that are meaningful to each one? Just show them how much you love them. The relationship, not the religion. The enjoyment, not, not the tasks. 
not the false spirituality, but God, just the relationship of what it means to know God. And Father, for those of us who have accepted Christ, we, we just confess we want to be intentional about this issue of training others, discipling others, raising up, just setting in front, entrusting to them, just setting it in front of them and teaching them how to teach others what it means to be a Christ follower. Father, we confess Jesus is all that matters. He matters now. He'll matter in a thousand years. We give you our lives. Amen.